Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented path to recovery from addictions. For more information, please visit us at refugerecovery.org. Okay, welcome everybody. It is five o'clock on the first Thursday of February, 2023. Um, for anybody tuning in for the first time, I like to try to remember to remind everybody that this is not a refuge recovery meeting. Refuge recovery meetings are peer led. This is an offering. Uh, from Refuge Recovery World Services uh, of a teacher-led class that I do once a month where I'll introduce a topic and talk about it a bit and do a guided meditation and uh, then we can have some Q&A. I don't have a fully formed um, talk for tonight. I have a topic and um, talk about it for a little bit before we start meditating and then we'll meditate and then we can talk about it a little bit afterwards. Just have a one hour time frame for this class from five to six. Sometimes I go a little bit over. Um, so a central part of the refuge recovery program is mindfulness, which we define as present time, non-judgmental awareness, uh, awareness of reality, awareness of both internal and external phenomena, what's happening. You know, we often start with our breath, breathing in, be aware of the breath, breathing out, start with the first foundation, mindfulness of the body, and then we go on to the feeling tone, what's pleasant, what's unpleasant, what's neutral. We go into the mind, observing present time awareness of what our minds are up to, what thoughts, hopes, fears, cravings, judgments, resentments. Part of the... Um, outcome of mindfulness is the wisdom, the awareness, sometimes called the insight, the understanding of impermanence, the truth of impermanence. Everything is impermanent. Nothing that uh, arises in the body, in the mind, or in the world stays the same. Everything's in a process of change. Uh, of arising and passing often the way that the Buddha talked about it was the arising and passing of phenomena. And one of the uh, last sections of the first foundation of mindfulness is awareness of impermanence, right? We learn it with the breath, the body, the mind states. We see everything's coming through our moods, our emotions. But then the Buddha directs us to begin reflecting on the impermanence of the body itself. So as we sit here, you can become mindful of your body and know, oh, sensations are constantly changing, whatever's happening. The breath is coming and going. All of the sensations are changing. 
we can use our memory to reflect on all of the changes our body have gone through over the years, decades of existence, the process of aging, the process of uh, our bodies changing as we grow up, as we grow old. And I think it's very pertinent that the last instruction in the first foundation is the Buddha says, bring mindfulness to the impermanence of the body itself, to so the inevitability of death, the impermanence of our existence, of our, our, um, our physical existence. So I want to talk about death, and I, I don't have all of the answers, but I do have some um, questions. <laughs> I do have some um, encouragement for all of us to be investigating this. I mean, I, I, I maybe should, I always feel a little, uh, like probably I should be a little bit cautious um, and maybe like issue trigger warnings, like trigger warning, we're gonna talk about death. <laughs> Now that I'm already talking about it, five minutes in, trigger warning. <laughs> um, you know, there's this there's this dilemma for us in recovery of how much um, to turn towards and face uh, reality, face our wounds, face our pain. So much of Buddhism, so much of recovery is is asking us, is encouraging us to turn towards. So much of our uh, instinctual drive is to turn away from, be like, I don't want to fucking acknowledge death. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to meditate on the corpse, the body as a corpse. I don't want to really, that's uh, unpleasant, right? Second second foundation, you know? And, and maybe it depends. Each of us is different. We all have a different perception. Um you know, curious for you, just as we, as I bring this up for you to establish mindfulness, not in a like, close your eyes and meditate way, but just a, a, an, in this present awareness, just the topic of death, what's happening in your belly, you know, does your belly get tight? Um, is it generally when you think about death? Is it pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? What's the feeling tone? of just these thoughts and emotions that come up. Is there a, a sense of sadness around impermanence? Is there how much acceptance, how much, uh, how much grief do we have? Are we, each one of us uh, holding? This isn't true for all addicts, but a lot of addicts have um, you know lived a life that has brought us in direct contact with death, with friends overdosing, with friends committing suicide, with you know family members um, dying. Uh, you know, just if you want to, you could even. Here's a question for everyone. There's 55 of us in the room right now. If you reflect for a moment, how much death have you known? How many people uh, have you known that have died so far? You know, whether you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s, or maybe there's some teenagers here, I don't know, but 
so far in this life. How much, how much have you come direct, you know, as are your grandparents still alive? Are your parents still alive? Uh, have you had close friends? Have you had close encounters with death? How many of us uh, ourselves have had near-death experiences? Experiences where we thought we were going to die or we're in, you know, danger of dying and, you know, waking up in the hospital or waking up in the ditch or, or you know, on the floor in the bathroom or... Um, you know, I know that that's not everybody's story. There's probably people here that say, you know, parents are alive. My, you know, I haven't, haven't had a lot of loss yet. Um, but the reality here for all of us is that we will, whether you've already had a lot as a lot of us addicts have had a lot of death in our lives. And if you're somebody who hasn't yet, you will, right? If you live long enough, uh, the people around you will start dying. I'm just talking to a friend right before class whose father recently died. And, and um, you know, I was talking about like how it's the natural order for the parents to die, you know, especially as we get into our 40s and 50s and 60s. And it's the natural order. It doesn't mean that we don't grieve. It doesn't mean that sadness and, you know, compassion and, and, uh, meaning that we don't feel sad about it but we also accept yep it's the, it's the way it is we all we're all impermanent everything's impermanent this is a irrefutable law of nature a fact Several places in the Buddha's teachings, not only in the first foundation of mindfulness, so in the first, and I put it in the refuge book, it's in there. I don't think it gets done that often at meetings where the Buddha says, you know, we must reflect on our own impermanence and, uh, and, and offers this kind of guided visualization of, uh, you know, imagine a corpse and then say to yourself, I'm not exempt from becoming a corpse this is this is what's going to happen this body right here that i'm mindfully breathing in is going to stop breathing eventually we don't know when but it's going to stop breathing and the body will be a corpse we're not exempt from that and then uh the different stages of decay the buddha encourages us to see you know we can get so identified so like i am this body this is who i am it's one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves, is this all we are? Are we just a, a physical form? Is there, you know, something beyond uh, this body? You know, Buddhism goes to uh, beliefs and understanding about a, a process of rebirth, that there's not just this one life. It's not a uh, Buddhism's not a nihilistic uh, philosophy that says lights out and that's it. And they say, you know, you've got a karmic momentum you're creating in this life. And if you don't reach nirvana, if you don't get enlightened, then you'll come back and get another shot. <laughs> you know, and it, but, but also with this, like, it's not really you that comes back, but your karmic momentum will be reborn. 
It's not so much the self, you know, the I am reborn, but the karma continues. That, you know, you certainly don't need to believe that, uh, but interesting to look at what you do believe and, and why you believe it. You know, so uh, almost probably probably the, the vast majority of us in refuge recovery conditioned in the West with Judeo-Christian eternalist philosophy, you know, uh, that there's, you know, an afterlife. And so many of us rejecting the Judeo-Christian philosophy say like, well, you know, how, how could heaven make sense or hell make sense or and, and eternity forever? You die, and based on your deeds in this lifetime, you go somewhere forever. <laughs> Which, you know, sounds good if it's a fucking big party, but it doesn't sound that good if it's a painful hell realm. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Buddhism, also the cosmology of Buddhism and, and rebirth, and, you know, what happens, this question of like, what happens after death? One of the ways Buddhism talks about it, he, they say there are heaven realms and hell realms, but the difference between the eternalist, you know, monotheistic worldview and the Buddhist impermanent worldview is that these heaven realms are impermanent. And the hell realms are impermanent, that if you have an experience of hell, it won't last forever. You'll just do some time. <laughs> you just do a bid, you know, and, and heaven, you know, bad news is, you know, yeah, you can get it into heaven but it's not going to last you got to come back here to this realm of ten thousand joys and ten thousand sorrows this realm of of addiction and recovery of healing and awakening in order to truly you know end suffering heaven's not the end of suffering it's just a vacation from it <laughs> from a buddhist perspective I feel a little um, self-conscious about going too far into Buddhist perspectives on rebirth and because I don't address it that much in refuge recovery because I really just wanted refuge recovery to be a very practical, what's the stuff we need to recover? We need to learn mindfulness and forgiveness. We need to develop community and be of service. We need to learn compassion and non-attachment, non-attached appreciation. These are the practical tools of the four noble truths, the four truths of refuge recovery. But here we are in this lifetime where uh, we face impermanence, impermanence in our relationships, impermanence of our own being. My sense is that most of the reflections on death, that they have a couple different uh, in motivations in, in Buddhism. One is to break our misidentification with the physical form as our true identity, just to kind of look at like, this, this isn't who, this isn't all of what we are, it's temporary uh, form. 
don't be too identified with it. And also to help us stop, you know, objectifying ourselves and objectifying each other as how sexy am I as this body? <laughs> you know, part of the Buddha's teaching is it's like, that's not who we really are. It's not just this body. And the other piece feels like uh, the motivation of urgency. When we really turn towards death and um, see, oh, how much, how much have I been postponing? How much have I been putting off, uh, procrastinating? How much of my healing, of my, um, the work that I need to do, the amends that I need to make, the forgiveness practices that I need to do, the, you know, how much have I been putting that off to some imagined future where when you start thinking about the reality of impermanence and death creates an urgency of like, I don't know when I'm going to die. No idea. One of us might not make it home tonight. Well, probably most of you are already at home. <laughs> but you know what I mean. You know, one, one of us, there's 56 people in the room. One of us might die today or tomorrow or next week or next month. We don't know when we're going to die. It's the big mystery of our existence in this world, where on one level, these human bodies are really... Um, it's kind of miraculous that we're that you know the, the injuries we can sustain and the illnesses we can but also you don't know you know if you're going to have a car accident or get a disease or you don't know so that urgency piece of like you know meditate now forgive now develop compassion now you know uh, do whatever healing needs to be done now with some level of a uh, that right effort not to not that you can force forgiveness you can't <laughs> but you can do the practice every day not that you can force wisdom you can't but you can meditate every day and you can practice the five precepts and wise speech and wise you know livelihood and you know we 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 can't all of a sudden say like well i know i'm gonna die so i'm gonna meditate extra hard and it's gonna happen you know my wisdom is gonna have my recovery is gonna go faster doesn't really work like that but the urgency of like i don't want to procrastinate i don't want to put it off i want to show up for my life, for my practice, for my recovery. I wanna say yes when they ask me to be of service. I wanna say yes when, when they say, are there any mentors available in the room? Yep, I'll mentor, <laughs> you know, actually get your hand up there, be of service. You don't know, you might die next week, be of service this week, <laughs> that sort of urgency. Now, I know it's a, my mind, I don't know about yours, but my mind also goes like, well, fuck it, I'm gonna die next week. <laughs> maybe I don't, maybe there's not enough time to heal. Maybe I should just give up. But that's the, that's the dilemma that we're in. We know, we know we are impermanent. We know everyone that we love is impermanent. Everyone that we meet, everyone that we care about. We know this, this is obvious in so many ways but we don't know when. That's the, the quote from the Buddha. Uh, death is certain. 
the time of death is uncertain. Well, you know, it's certain, but we don't know when. It's uncertain when. So important for us to meditate on death, to reflect on death, to keep death like a you know companion. Um, you know, in in refuge, I talk about uh, making friends with Mara, that part of your mind that is fear and greed and you know confusion. Uh, you know, also make friends with death. This is the Buddha's teaching. Make friends with impermanence, with death, rather than denial, suppression, ignorance, avoidance. We know that doesn't work, right? We tried that as addicts. I'll just deny it. <laughs> I'll just ignore it. I'll just suppress it. I'll just pretend like I'm not an addict. And then eventually it catches up with us and we have to admit it. We have to, you know, accept it. Likewise with death, rather than waiting for it to catch up with us for the loved one to die before we start doing the practice or for our own terminal illness or, or whatever it is, the encouragement is start now reflecting on death, practicing awareness of death, our own impermanence and the impermanence of everyone that we love. I didn't include this in, in the... Um, refuge recovery program, but uh, as I do the, as and if and when, when, not if, when I actually get around to getting the second edition out there, one of the practices that I feel like might be interesting for us to add to refuge recovery is the five daily reflections. The Buddha said, he encouraged people, he said, uh, reflect every day on five things. You know, yes, do your mindfulness, do your compassion, do your forgiveness, but also remind yourself every day, I am of the nature to uh, age. I'm not exempt from aging. I'm of the nature to uh, experience sickness, illness, injury. I'm not exempt from illness. I am of the nature to die. I am not exempt from the impermanent truth of death. All of those who I love, all everything that I love, I will be separated from. There's nothing. We don't get to keep anything. It's all impermanent. And the, the fifth one is something like my only true possession is my karma, my actions. The only thing that I truly own, since all of the stuff is impermanent, all of the relationships are impermanent, what do we own? our karma, how we've been behaving, that's what we own. And, you know, of course, Buddhism is very hopeful and positive and uh, empowering in you can change your karma. That's what we're doing. You can change your karma through positive actions. Mentor each other. It's good, positive karma balancing being of service, be it good, positive karma balancing, being just being a kind, forgiving, loving person, creating positive karma. That's what we own, our goodness, our kindness, our generosity, our, as well as the negative actions, right? The, and we want to balance them, more positive, less negative. So I'll offer a short guided meditation on death and um, we can have some discussion.
So find a way to sit that's upright, relaxed. When you're ready, allowing your eyes to be closed. Present time, non-judgmental awareness of the breath, the body. Part of the first foundation can be seen as this investigation of how do I know I'm still alive? Each breath notifying us, still breathing, each sensation, each sense door, each thought still happening, each heartbeat. Each breath, bringing awareness of life, but also teaching us of impermanence, how each breath has a beginning, a middle, an end. Each sensation passing. We open to this reflection on the impermanent nature of life in a body. Each body has a beginning, a middle, an end. Whether it's a long life, living 80, 90 years, or a short life, dying young, somewhere in between. Saying to yourself this reflection, this body that's so much alive right now, 
subject is sickness and aging and death. I'm not exempt from aging, sickness, death. Taking this reflection to the other people meditating with you right now. This refuge recovery sangha of impermanent people, subject to sickness, aging, and death. And extending this reflection to your loved ones, people that you care about. Friends and family. Subject to sickness, aging and death, not exempt from the impermanent nature of existence. And check in with what emotions come up. Is it dry? Is it warm? How's your heart feel as you reflect on impermanence and death? Is there fear, sadness? Acknowledge the emotion, the thought, the fear. Accept it. our mentors, our teachers, subject to sickness, aging, death, our parents, our grandparents, and our children, the young ones, also having taken birth in this impermanent realm, Subject to sickness, aging and death.
We develop non-attachment and compassion, forgiveness, mercy. As we open to the understanding that everyone we care about will pass, some before us, some after, that we will be separated from everything that we hold dear. Everything that we love, that we cling to. So we try to let go little by little. Turning our hearts towards being connected rather than clinging. I need this balance of acceptance, understanding, wisdom while remaining warm and loving, connected. To reflect on all of the things that at this point in our lives we are attached to and we would suffer about losing the relationships. Perhaps even the things, what are we attached to? The stuff, the position. Sometimes it's even quite healthy, like I would quite miss being able to be of service. Some healthy connection to helping others. Here we are in this realm of impermanence, thickness, aging, death, and loss. Like the Buddha says, our only true possession is our karma. How we react, how we behave, How we tend to our own pain. This is our karma. How we tend to the pain of others. This is our karma. Feeling the breath, 
awareness of life, feeling the emotions, the awareness of life, the thoughts, the sounds, still here. The intention to become more awake to, more accepting of, more friendly, more compassionate towards impermanence and death. When you're ready, you can allow your eyes to be open, come back to seeing, moving however you like. Say a couple more things, and then if you have some um, thoughts or questions. Grief is healthy, is natural, is, um, seems to be a cycle. The, the, uh, the grief experts, <laughs> <laughs> uh, talk about five stages that we go through when, when we're grieving um, and that it's uh, cycles of these uh, and I, I don't know if I can recall them let me try kind of uh, anger is natural part of grieving uh, denial is a natural part of grieving uh, bargaining this sort of like, but if, could it be different? Bargaining and um, acceptance. So that's four out of five, not bad. What's the fifth one? Anybody know it? Depression. depression. Is that sadness? Depression. Depression. Yeah. yeah. So denial and depression and anger and bargaining and some level acceptance. It can be so complicated when um, people die who we've had complicated relationships with and on some level aren't all of our relationships kind of complicated. <laughs> I don't know. I think once in a while people are like, well, you know, grandma uncomplicated. That was just pure good one for some people. But usually like when our parents die, there's some complicated stuff there. Like our parents, and who doesn't have, a, you know, some wounds from, you know, childhood. And then the parent dies and there's so much sadness there. Um, but there's also, you know, resentment. And, you know, often that's kind of how do we sit with both? We have so much encouragement and refuge to do a lot of forgiveness, you know, and do it now before they die, before you die, 
so that um, you know we we don't have all of those un unfinished un un uh, unattended to resentments around you know loss, and that we can really just be with the loss, with the sadness, and uh, having done the forgiveness, and you know continue continual encouragement to doing that and and somewhere in the book it says keep doing forgiveness every other day until you have zero more resentments you know until you can really bring everyone to mind and say yeah but there's some pain in that memory but there's no hatred in that memory right usually we meet our pain with anger with resentment with hatred and then we can bring up those old you know wounds and betrayals and uh, you know and be like well yeah it's still a painful memory but i don't hate anymore i don't resent anymore i can now meet that confused person with compassion so i'll open it up for questions about let's keep it on topic for the most part death grief and permanence Go ahead, Kelly. Hi, Noah, it's good to see you and thank you everybody for the meeting. Um, first I'll, I'll comment, this was such a interesting and perfect topic. I, I work in a first responder capacity and I was on a fatality for seven hours today and watched all of the stages of grief, except for acceptance with the parents involved and um, I feel incredibly grateful to have an opportunity to sit and meditate with all of that tonight. So thank you. And I have a question about something that I heard in the meditation. I heard you say that our karma is part of our karma is built on the way we tend to our own grief or something that the way we tend to ourselves yeah that um scares me and i would like it if you would expand on that <laughs> thank you traditionally karma is created by intentional volitional uh thoughts actions words um so there's a difference when we're looking at, and the more we meditate, the more we start to see, oh, some of my mind is totally unvolitional and it's just being reactive. And I'm not uh, intending to have these resentments. They're just kind of coming out of nowhere. And I'm not intending to hate myself. It's just coming out of nowhere. But then we develop mindfulness and then we can start to re replace those thoughts with loving kindness, with compassion. And that that karma of, Oh, rather than staying in this cycle of unworthiness or resentment or whatever it is, I'm going to bring uh, the loving kindness phrase in, and that's an act of positive karma that I'm creating. I'm going to bring a, I'm going to bring in the um, forgiveness phrase. I, for, you know, I don't even mean it yet, but I'm going to say it. I forgive myself for, and each time we bring those positive responses into our own heart and mind. Uh, we're creating positive karmic momentum towards that positive emotional state that we're looking for. So more in, in the volitional ones, the ones that we're doing on purpose than the ones that are just the mind going on auto, you know, drive. 
hope that helps make sense. Yes, very much. Thank you. The, the, the experience that I had today was, you know, being in that environment. And then as a family friend was leaving, I said, he thanked me and I said, okay, thank you. Have a good, have a good rest of your day. And as soon as I said, have a good rest of your day, it was like, you're a fucking idiot. What did you just say? And, you know, I, life, life and death, like death is, is the permanent and everything else is impermanent, but that's what I thought about more than anything. Yeah. Sitting 30 feet from the parents yeah. was my comment. Yeah. So yeah. That's just how the mind works, right? Just yeah. self-centered <laughs> mind. Yeah. Oh, shit, I shouldn't have said that, but it's, you know, like no, no judgment, you know, like just trying to accept like, oh yeah, like, so my mind is so self-centered. I'm over here worrying <laughs> about how, how I look or what I said, or rather than having like who's going to remember. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, well, but then now there's a solution. When, and we, yeah, whenever you catch yourself going regretting and then you kind of say, well, I forgive myself for that. And may I meet myself with some kindness around that uh, speech that I don't feel, you know, I regret having said that. Or, yeah. Good Thank to see you. Andrew. Andrew, go ahead, jump in. Hey, man, everybody. Hey, Sangha. So January, I had a heart attack and open heart surgery, and I'm recovering. And... Um, death has been on my mind and um you know there's a point i was in the hospital at columbia presbyterian here in new york and um i thought it could kind of be easy to let go they're going to come over and they're going to bang on me and put oxygen in they're not going to let that happen but you know um the lights fading or something like dramatic like that you know and um spent a lot of time thinking about it before the surgery spent a lot of time thinking well what's this road to recovery going to look like and um i you know i'd be less than human to to notice these things and then there's the contrast with that you know only a few years ago i couldn't wait to get off this goddamn planet and here i am going oh, i know it really hurts but i want to stay here <laughs> and um I, I, I guess I don't really have a question other than, well, a, a big open-ended one, which is that, you know, I have the sense of like clarity of vision. I mean, it's a little clouded by being, um, by being in some, still some pain and, and slowly getting back to whatever, we'll see, you know, a long, a long period of healing. But what do you do with clarity of vision? When you sit there and go, you know what? I was not, I was not laying in that hospital bed thinking, boy, if only, you know, if only if I had such and such guitar with me, boy, if only I could run up some more credit card debt, boy, if only could, it was like, I got, I got to leave this hospital without a bunch of drugs because I don't want to come back here for a different reason. Right. Um, I don't want to waste this fucking life. Yeah. I don't know where this clarity came from. I didn't give it to myself. I didn't choose it. Here it is. Now what? And understanding that like, that's not going to happen in a week or a month or even a year. It's, it's a process, but I think of it as a gift, you know, and it's kind of like, I think you hit on it with service, but maybe you want to talk some more about that. I mean, I don't know how much, 
more to say about it other than like that is um that's the dilemma like we have these awakenings these moments of urgency this kind of uh the gift of desperation or i think you were calling it clarity um but then we forget (laughs) (laughs) but like there's we're like oh yeah like recovery meditation awakening like that's what i'm going to do with the rest of my life (laughs) this is the only important thing right like this is what will set me free the true happiness that i'm seeking finally you know it's not about the material or the sensual or any of that it's about this sort of process of awakening um which includes service and natural outcome is you know being kind and generous you know if you really commit but then we forget, you know, and we plug back into the matrix and, you know, like, yeah, when we're, when we're in that detox or that hospital bed or that, you know, desperation, we're like, yes, I'm all in. And then like things start to get a little bit better and the suffering starts to decrease a little bit. And all of a sudden we keep, we forget, we start forgetting. This is the dilemma that I don't have any great solution to, um, other than like staying connected, you know, staying connected to community, to fellowship, to, to Sangha, staying connected to our practice, staying connected to the people who inspire us, you know, keep tuning into, you know, the groups and, the, you know, the, the meetings and the people who uh, remind us. Um, and then that is something about, you know, nothing better than remembering the misery of active addiction than taking someone else through the inventories. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right of mentoring someone else through the inventory it's like you do yours and you're like oh yeah what a fucking miserable life active addiction is and you know not that being in recovery is the whole solution but at least i'm heading in the right direction now uh, but you can start to forget and then you hear someone else's inventory and you're like oh yeah that's fucking miserable i don't want to go back to that i want to stay right here on this path to freedom but you know there's some kind of built-in forgetter that we all have it seems like so we'll go to jack go ahead thank you hello everybody hello noah um thanks for all you do um your book and your methodology just literally got me through inpatient which i just got out of recently um we did it every night with a small group of about 10 of us and it was really one of the, the positive moments for us was, was beginning the practice of refuge recovery there. And we keep doing it. In fact, we have an alumni group we've, we're forming, and so we'll keep doing it. Um, um, you know, on the topic of, of death and loss and experiencing these things, the thing I'm, I'm most experiencing right now is a form of death. Um, it's the death of my old self. And um, the grief is is pretty severe. Um, I it's it's not that I miss the old self so much. It's more I'm I'm incredibly isolated and lonely right now. Um, I have intentionally isolated myself from a lot of my my friends. <clears throat> some were heavy users, some not. But for for obvious reasons, the best thing for me right now is to build a new life of purpose, um, new social community, a new sangha, all these things, right? Um, but, but 
the intellectual knowledge that that eventually I'll come out of this and I'm building a new purpose and I'm building new friends and new community and I'm reestablishing joy in my life in a new way. And I know all this is happening, but it doesn't alleviate the grief or the, the pain and extreme loneliness that I feel every single day right now. Right. Um, and it's partially driven because I'm not employed. So I'm looking for a new job. And everybody on this call, I'm sure, knows how lonely looking for a new job is <laughs> and the rejection and all that shit, right? Um, and so, yeah, I don't know what my question is other than I know what I need to do to alleviate the loneliness and void of purpose in my life, right? I, I know the steps. Um, I'm at, my question is, how do I manage my feelings in the interim? until those new seeds take root in my life right and and then and then i know they i I will be feeling like a whole person once again i trust in the process and the tools of refuge recovery very much i know it's going to happen but right now i feel terrible and so i guess how do we manage our feelings in these interim moments when we intellectually realize eventually we'll be better but right now we're not thank you Welcome. Uh, good to see you and welcome. Uh, let me ask you, Jack, where do you live? Where are you, where, what part of the country are you on? Well, Washington, D.C. is home. Okay. Um, I don't know. There used to be a couple of refuge meetings in D.C. I don't know. I think there, I think there might be a couple. I think somebody was starting a new one. Um, but yeah, the community piece. Uh, Northern, and I really, Northern Virginia, I think there's one in Annandale, like okay. a bigger one. Yeah. I like the way you, um, you know, even just the way you, the insight in which you answer the, ask the question of like, you know, I know this is temporary and it'll get better. And there is a kind of a death of the old life into the new recovery life. And there is a kind of, uh, you know, um, in Buddhism, in Tibetan Buddhism, they talk about this bardo realm uh, between death and, and rebirth, where it's like all of these kind of this maze you have to go through in order to find the next connection, the next, you know, life that, you know, this, what's my recovery life? Where are my people? Where are they? And, um, and I heard that, the you know, that question of like, what do we do? How do we deal with these emotions? This sadness and loneliness and um i don't have a good answer for i have an answer that you're not going to like that nobody likes but i think it's the truth which is so much of what we have to learn in recovery is how to be uncomfortable how to be sad how to be lonely how to be uh with all of these difficult emotions and to stop running from them and 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 just learn to tolerate like yeah this sucks right now this sadness, this grief, this loneliness, and not get loaded about it and not go into, you know, whatever our addictive behaviors are and to just sit with them and tend to them. And, you know, it helps, you know, you tune into the meetings and you remind yourself, oh, it's impermanent, it's changing. And you bring mindfulness and be like, oh, wait, there is all of this fear but the fear has a beginning, a middle and an end. There's all of this anger, but even the anger arises and passes and um so but none of that makes it all better none of that's like uh so some of it's just 
just tolerating it, just kind of like fasten your fucking seatbelt and hang on. <laughs> and, you know, do all of the things that you're talking about and know you're doing. Come to the meetings, meet some people, read, do get out of your comfort zone and be like, hey, I'm new. I need some numbers. I'm in D.C. Anybody know anybody in D.C.? I hate to be this person, but I'm this person right now. You were all this person one time, remember? <laughs> you know, kind of like we all we're all the, the new person in the group at some point. And uh, some groups you'll find really warm people who are willing to, to reach out and connect. And the Zoom community and refuge is very strong. And you'll find a lot of connection in the Zoom community before you find your in-person you know, people. Um, but also it's okay to be uncomfortable and be sad and be lonely and not drink, use whatever the addictive behavior is about it. Uh, and, you know, the cycles of that, like the cycles of grief, you know, uh, I'm going to be angry, I'm going to be depressed, I'm going to be <laughs> bargaining, I'm going to be in denial, I'm going to be fine, I'm in denial, I'm fine. <laughs> uh, and then I'll come to some acceptance of like, yeah, actually, this is quite hard. Um, and I, you know, as I develop these new friends, making friends as an adult is fucking weird, I think. You know, to be these sort of like grown ass adults being like, can I have your phone number? <laughs> Would you like to go on a play date with me? <laughs> you know, it's just it's awkward to be. But but because we're in a community of like, this is what we're all doing. This is what we're all doing. How can I be of service? How can I accept help? How can I offer help? You know, we hopefully we've created a community where that's the norm, you know. Who needs help? Who has help to offer? It's what we're doing here. So anyways, welcome again, Jack. And Erica, we'll end with you. Oh, wow. Um, thank you for that talk. And I don't want to cross talk, but what you guys were just talking about brought up so much for me. Um, and I'm just going to say, so there's a bunch of thoughts. Let me see if I can organize my head here. Um, what came up for me was just today, I was talking to somebody who's reaching out from refuge, somebody I've never met in person, but I've met online through our meetings. And I felt so connected and supported by her. And I've never met her in person. And what I was saying is what is so crazy is that I can be out in the world with all these other people and feel so lonely. And yet, through someone I've never met in person, feel so connected and seen and understood. And so I'll tell you the the weird part of me is when we I think about death, I think about that kind of thing. I almost have I don't have a lot of emotion around it. And I don't know if that's denial or if it's just acceptance. And yet, when I experience the loss of connection and friendship, and this year was has been tough for me. I've lost my four best friends. I am now going through a divorce. And the simple things of like, who's my emergency contact brings up like such intense loss and sadness. And I know with the group of friends, like I had to go through the, all the stages of grief and, and like it's in and out and up and down and like, and it gets easier. And I was like, at first I was like, can I freaking stop crying about this shit? Am I done? But then it's like, okay, I just have to, 
acknowledge whatever emotion and feeling is coming up and sit with it and be with it. And so I do know that I have emotion with grief and loss and when it's connection, but then when it's death, I have a very different reaction and I don't know, I don't know what it's coming from. Does that make sense? And I don't know if it's, if it's denial or if it's just acceptance. I don't know either, but it's a good question. And, and it's something interesting to dig into in your practice. And maybe if you do these five reflections and you do some more of the corpse meditation and you, um, I don't know how much, uh, death you've experienced and how much you've meditated on death, but make it a, you know, part of your practice and see, you'll, you'll see, you know, um, you'll see if it feels like a genuine sense of acceptance or it feels a little bit more like, mm, yes, you know, kind of the difference between sort of intellectually accepting death and really accepting it in our heart and the kind of sadness that goes along with that. And it's interesting that you say that because I was thinking I've lost grandparents and that all seemed normal, but there are two people in my life who have committed suicide. And maybe that's the loss that I still struggle with. So maybe that's where I have to sit with. Okay. Yeah. Good to see you. Thank you for being here and good to see everybody. Thanks for, for being here. Um, I have some announcements. Uh, we're all going to die, in case you didn't know, just reminding you. Um, we don't know when, but eventually. So, uh, you know, be righteous to each other, be kind. And uh, if you can, I see um, Michelle has pr uh, printed the the Donna, which is our, our word for generosity, for donation. If you can make a donation, please do make a donation, support Refuge Recovery World Services. We need your support. If you can, please do. Um, there's a bunch of uh, upcoming in-person events this year. In um, Well, this weekend, I'm going to be in Oklahoma. The Oklahoma crew is here. I'll see you guys tomorrow. But that's a full retreat. So sorry, no, you know, nobody else gets already, already sold out. Uh, but then the next one is in May, we have the Refuge Recovery Conference, the annual conference. It's in Northern California this year. It's in this camp in the Redwoods. It's going to be really awesome. So that's on the website if you want to come out to the um, retreat in or the, the conference in May, first weekend in May. And then in um, October, I'm going to be out on the East Coast, any of you. East Siders, East Coasters, um, five-day retreat in uh, the Berkshire, sort of upstate New York, near the near the Massachusetts border at a camp. We have a five-day refuge recovery retreat up there. And uh, I think we just opened registration for the fall seven-day retreat in, in Southern California um, in September. So uh, May, September, October, and I do have a little bit of time in the schedule. I was still looking to for somewhere in the South. I went to North Carolina last year. So I'm looking for a retreat center, uh, perhaps in the South. Um, so I might add one more thing for the year to the schedule. Um, but if you can come to one of these, you know, East Coast or West Coast 
uh, events. I think that's all I got. May any goodness that comes from our practice and discussion be shared outward in all directions with all of the suffering addicts and all of the non-addicts, all living beings. May each one of us recover and together may we create a positive change on this planet. Good to see everybody. Thanks for tuning in. See you in. Refuge Recovery is freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation to support us, you may do so by following the link in the episode notes. We appreciate your generosity.